Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Technology Uncorked. My name is Jeff Quattromani, and this show is brought to you by Navman. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the future is good. The future is bright. But can you see what's ahead of you? Well, your dash cam can. Well, a good dash cam can anyway, I should say. And the range from Navman is one that I can tell you, night and day, you will always get very good video footage. And what I mean by that is this. Ever been driving in bright sunlight? Might be hard for you to see. You put your sunglasses on so you can see better. You put the window visor down to try and block the sun out. Guess what? Your dash cam footage isn't having that problem with a Navman. And I know that from my, my experience, my testing of these. Ever driven into a tunnel and then you get that sudden shift from bright light to darkness? Navman doesn't have a problem with that. Other dash cams I've tested certainly do. And that changing of illumination can really throw them off. And then you move back out of that and it becomes nighttime. Can you see the car in front? Well, you can, probably because of the headlights with most dash cams. But can you see what's happening on the footpath where your headlights aren't providing that benefit or where the streetlights aren't potentially providing that lighting? The Navman ones can. It's very important that if you are shopping around for a dash cam at the moment, that you are looking at the videos. You are comparing night and day footage, actually paying attention to where the blemishes are, where the detail is missing. Can you read the number plate of the car in front? Could you work out the make and model if you needed to? And could you see a pedestrian walking on a footpath or a cyclist? in the nighttime. These are the kinds of details that you need to prepare for every kind of situation that you would have to have a dash cam for. Now, the outer range is obviously where I'm really hitting the market at the moment. I think these are some of the best dash cams on the market at the moment that my view outer DC is a front and rear camera, which is very important to have that rear piece as well. And it does come, it's important to know, it does come with the micro SD card included. And it's not just any micro SD card, it's usually a class 10. And that means that it's going to have that high capacity, high volume, um, proper controls to make sure it is capturing that footage in real time and not having any storage lag and slowing you down in the process. So have a look at everything absolutely on offer. Find the right one that suits your budget. Because honestly, if you're driving on the road without a dash cam at the moment, it just becomes your word against somebody else's. And no one wants to have that kind of debate. Settle every debate with a Navman. Head to navman.com.au. Let's go Jeff Quattromani, multi-Australian in Sydney. Tech expert Jeff Quattromani. Jeff Quattromani, thank you very much from Sydney. Jeff Quattromani is here. And now it's time to talk technology with Jeff Quattromani. Jeff Quattromani. Hello everybody, thanks for tuning in. What the heck? Let's talk tech. And good afternoon, good evening, good morning, whenever it is that you are listening to this show. Thank you. Thank you for welcoming. Thank you for welcoming me into your ears and thank you for joining. Australia's number one technology podcast. This is a pretty jam-packed show. We're doing it over a glass of 19 crimes. Snoop, Doggy Dog, Cali Red. I've had this before. I may have even had it on the show before. I love it. If you want a bottle of wine under 20 bucks, I mean, I'm talking about $15.99 at Dan's. It's a cracker bottle. Like it's, it's a cracker bottle. Um, not because it's got Snoop Dogg on the front. I mean, I like his music, but it doesn't necessarily mean I like his wine. But I do like his wine. I like his wine more than his music, to be honest. It's brilliant. And at 15 bucks, uh, yeah, show me one that's better at that price point and I'll go out and buy it. But if you love a easy to drink red, super smooth, super fruity, it is just divine. Now, today, we are going to talk about a number of things. Uh, to give you a very quick rundown, you find out whether you're interested in continuing to listen or not. We're going to talk about an e-reader that's a wearable for your face. We're going to talk about laptops underneath one kilograms in weight, lighter than a MacBook Air. We're going to talk about your broadband and the fact that you're actually all paying too much and there's money to be saved in your NBN, in your internet saving uh, costs that you've got. 
We're going to look at AI as usual. We seem to do AI almost all the time at the moment, but AI is, is popping up again. And there's been some new changes that we'll talk about there. And then Dyson. Uh, I've been testing their robot vac. I've tested a number of robot vacs in my life. It's time to give this one a review. Let's get on with the show. Now, very quickly, I'm not going to play, play a blipper for that one. Let's get straight into it. Soul, S-O-L, soulreader.com. Go to their website and have a look at this. It's an e-reader for your face. So, you know, we've seen wearables, Apple last week, talking about their three and a half thousand US dollars Vision Pro headset that puts you in an immersive world and shows you all these crazy things that you never knew you could experience. Well, what about just wearing an e-ink display on your face? And basically, you can't see through it. You can't necessarily interact with it too much. Um, and when you turn your head, look up, look down, nothing different happens. But when you do look through the lenses or when you put them on, you'll see text. And it's the book that you're reading. And if you're sitting there on a holiday and you want to lay on a sunbed with your face up in the sky, you don't need to hold an e-reader in your hand anymore because you put these glasses on and you can start reading. There is a remote control that comes with it just to make it look even more nerdy. There's a small remote control that you have to hold. It's got your arrows and your select button. That way you can obviously make sure you turn the page or scroll. You don't actually see too many words at once. It looks like you're not actually staring at a page. You're just scrolling through text. So as you scroll through text, you'll be using the remote control to continue reading. And this is what they think is going to be the future of reading. You can sit back, open your eyes and let the words light the way. Have a look at this, the, the pictures and things like that on the website. It's interesting. I mean, I don't know how many people are going to run towards something like this. I do appreciate the fact that if you are, I don't know, on a cruise ship, you pick out your sunbed, you lay down, reading can be tricky. You have to pick the right position to read. But if you do want to just lay facing the sky, you could actually be reading without getting that dead arm. You wouldn't have to be laying on your chest and uh, having the book in front of you. You could just put these glasses on. Whenever someone comes to talk to you, they've got to take your glasses off. You wouldn't see them. You wouldn't know they were coming. But you can read your book and you can immerse yourself in words and stare deeply into words. I think it's, uh, I think it's interesting. So when I do look at the screenshots, though, and I encourage you to have a look at this, um, this website. When I do look at the screenshots, the text looks like it's from a DOS screen. Um, I know it's e-ink, but the amount of pixels looks like they've used six. Um, it's very, very block text and not even what you would see on a Kindle. I'm talking about, yeah, MS-DOS, that kind of stuff. Um, worth checking out. I don't know. Is it for me? Is it for you? I don't know. It's not for me. Uh, then we're going to talk about this. How about this? LG. LG have a new laptop coming to Australia next month. The LG Gram Super Slim laptop. Uh, I saw this at CES behind a big black curtain and signed some sort of paperwork that I couldn't talk about it. And I remember picking this thing up and thinking, wow, it's a 15-inch laptop. It's already a big laptop, 15 inches, but it's thin, thin, and it's light. Now, how light, how thin? Well, thinner than the newly announced MacBook Air 15-inch, lighter than the newly announced MacBook 15-inch. This thing has a 10 millimeter depth when it's closed. So it's super, super thin. And it weighs 998 grams. I think there was something on there that weighed two grams and they chopped it off with a sword and said, no, 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 we need to be underneath a kilo. 
Um, I don't know, maybe it was one of the keys. Maybe there's a key missing from the QWERTY keyboard that actually allows this thing to get underneath one kilo, but it still has all the bells and whistles. It has a full-size keyboard with number pad. It has the webcam. It has an OLED display. OLED display. So it's going to produce beautiful images on the screen. And as you probably naturally expect, with an OLED display being so thin, being so light, still having the capacity to have, <coughs> excuse me, to have an i7 processor, still having all the potential that you'd expect from a performance point of view. With that, it probably is going to come at a pretty hefty price tag. We don't know what it's going to be in Australia yet, but in the US, it's $16.99. So around 2.5K if you look at it that way. We'll wait and see when it comes to Australia. I can't wait to get hands on with it again and give it another test. Now, moving on to the NBN or any other internet plan that you might be considering, there's a study that came out recently that I started to look through because it was interesting. Effectively, it was saying that most Australians are paying too much for their home internet. And I think that's probably true. I think for a lot of people, you might either be paying too much for the speed because you don't actually need as much speed as you're paying for. It could be that you've got unlimited downloads and actually you could have been fine with a 250 gig download limit. But the other reality is, is that you might maybe be saving money with the same plan on a different telco. We have this loyalty in Australia that seems to be unbroken when it comes to signing up to providers. Um, I've spoken about streaming services before and the loyalty that we have with them, even though they're a month-to-month service. But when it comes to your internet, as the NBN was introduced, telcos didn't necessarily have a stranglehold on the network anymore. When Telstra used to own the copper network, you were a smarter person to be with Telstra uh, for home internet because you generally got better speeds. But now, as the NBN is wholesaled to anybody who wants to have a piece of it, you could be changing providers in an hour maximum. You could be saving money within that period of time, and you could be getting the same speed. Now, you may stay with a company because of their customer service, and that's acceptable. You may be staying with a company because they have other features that they provide to you. It could be that you've got a bundle with your mobile or your Foxtel or your energy. There's a whole bunch of deals that are out there like that. But what's interesting to me here is that just changing providers can save you a ton of money. And at the moment, honestly, with interest rates and cost of living pressures and things like that, I get it. I totally get it. Uh, When we had fiber introduced into my place, um, I went from a 50 meg plan, which I was paying for, and then signed up to a 500 megabit plan. I don't need 500, but I really wanted it because I was getting a treat after so long. I wanted to go full speed. Now, as things progress throughout this year, there's a pretty good chance I'm going to bring that back down to a 100 meg plan because what am I really doing with all that extra bandwidth? Probably not a lot. Am I really seeing that benefit? Not really. I don't, I don't do things on the internet that really require 500 megabits per second. Um, it's been impressive, but I am probably paying an extra, I don't know, $30, $40 over what a 100 megabit plan would cost. At the same time, if I go and look at another telco, I may stick with the 500 and save some coin along the way. Now, they give an example here of a guy named Jack. Jack is switching providers. Um, I don't know if it's a real name, but calling it Jack. And he's gone from spending $74.99 per month for a 50 megabits plan, and he's going to the same plan at $53.95 per month. So when you think about that kind of thing, that's 20 bucks for the same plan, and all he did was change providers. 20 bucks per month, again, where could you put that? If you don't want to keep that in your pocket, you could put that on a new streaming service. You could put that into music subscription. 
You could put that into Audible for, for eBooks. There is a lot of ways that you could be redistributing that money to get more value out of it. And if the only difference is that you're paying your bill to a different provider, who cares? There is no reason anymore why you should be loyal to Aussie Broadband or TPG or Optus or Telstra or anybody. If you're not shopping around and looking for a better deal, you're mad. There's, no, there's literally no effort in changing your NBN plan. And I just encourage people to think about this sort of thing. You know, things like changing your mobile network provider can be a bit more of a hassle, usually changing a SIM card and so on. NBN is codes. It's simple, simple, simple. So do shop around. And that is my community service announcement for that. Now, speaking of community service announcements, are you a student? Uh, if you are, you might want to listen to this little bit here. Because while I was excited, I'm sure many students were excited when AI and chat GPT started to come to market. They started to think, hey, I could get this to write my assignments. I could get this to write an essay. And actually, you can. You absolutely can. You can get it to write articles for you. You can get it to write anything you like. I mean, that may not always be good, but it may be better than what you can do. And you might just fill in some of the blanks to make sure it's accurate before you submit it. Now, there's a problem. As AI has been good at being able to learn how to do these things and be able to produce this content for you, there's been some other smart people who are using AI to detect when AI is used to generate content for you. And this has been an interesting thing that they've been doing. So first of all, you could be submitting content to your teacher and they could be putting it through another AI tool to try and flag whether this was generated by a chatbot or generative AI of some, of some kind. But what I love they did as an example was they, to train the AI to do this kind of work, they asked AI to perform the work in the first place. So as an example, you've got an assignment Write me an essay about um, the dramas of Pompeii, the volcano of Mount Vesuvius, and all the things that happened to Pompeii. So you go on ChatGPT, and what they did was they asked ChatGPT and other generative AI tools multiple times to do the same work. So write me a 500-word essay about Pompeii and the impact of Mount Vesuvius. They did it again. They did it again. They did it again. They took all of, their, all of those results. They plugged it into the um, other AI tool that they were building to detect where that AI was used as a way of teaching that tool to recognize the other tool. It's game teaching game. And I think it's a cr really cool way of doing it because if you teach it through all of the output of another AI tool, then when someone submits their assignment and says, here is my report on the impact of Pompeii from Mount Vesuvius, you may see correlation to excerpts that the AI tools have been giving because it's learned the outputs along the way. That is very, very cool. And I think it's going to catch a lot of people out. So do be careful. If you're going to use AI to write your assignments, there could be someone else watching and someone else has already thought about how you're going to get caught. Now, you're tired of vacuuming? You want a robot vacuum? Is the Dyson the one that you should be buying? Should you be spending $2,500 on the Dyson 360 Viznav? We'll talk about it right after this. Now, how is this for interesting? I had to do a Studio 10 segment a couple of weeks ago. We were looking at kitchen tech, and I thought, hmm, what kind of gadgets go into the kitchen? I know one gadget that goes in the kitchen every day, and it's the vacuum. It goes in there, and it tidies up the place after breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whatever it is. Maybe drop some crumbs. Maybe you dropped a few things on the floor. Hopefully, it's not wet items, but because the vacuum is coming in to clean it all up. So I had Dyson send me the 360 Viznav to show on Studio 10. Now, I will be very transparent. 
this product appeared on Studio 10 without me having used it. Normally, I like to test my products before they go on TV and before I talk about them and not recommend them, but give them coverage in that sense. Now, what I did do as part of the segment was I didn't actually say that I had tested it. I was very clear in that I love robot vacuums for cleaning the kitchen and cleaning up after you. Here is one example of a robot vacuum as the new one from Dyson and explain the features. And then I took it home and I got it, got it to work. Uh, I set it up and I've been using it for a couple of weeks now. Now, having tested a number of robot vacuums in the past, there were some, some reasons to be excited and some reasons to be skeptical about this particular model. Now, the new one from Dyson, it is using the motor from the Dyson V6, which is a very good stick vac. It is a number of years old, but it's a very good stick vac that has more suction power than any other robot vacuum that we've seen come to market. So there's some excitement straight away. The vacuum head on the front is square, just like you have on a stick vac. And it's not a circular body without any sort of brushes and a smaller mouth in the middle like other robot vacuums. So again, you're thinking this is going to do very well. It has a small arm that comes out on the side when it's doing edge cleaning to make sure it really does get all the way to the edges and bring in every dust and crumb that you may have sitting on the floor. Things to be excited about. What it doesn't do, and we knew that just by looking at the brochure, is it doesn't mop. It, a lot of other vacuums do. It doesn't empty itself, which a lot of other vacuums do. So I set this thing up. I pulled the dock out of the box, put the vacuum on top of it. There's a small screen that appears on top of the Dyson 360 ViznaV, and it's quite elegant, looks quite beautiful. There's a big camera that sits on top of it as well with this big sort of 360 lens. There's a filter cartridge, and there is the bucket like you have on a stick vac. So a very easy, familiar product to kind of look at and get used to. Now, I install the app, and you, in the app, very, very much like other robot vacuums, it needs to learn the house. So it tells you, try and make the floor as clean as possible in terms of you know, picking up things off the floor, moving chairs if you can, so that it can actually pull out a really nice map of your house so that when you do want to clean the kitchen, it knows where the kitchen is and its barriers and limitations and things like that. So we do that and I set it off on its path. And it's gone. It th it's gone for a good couple of hours roaming around. It's not vacuuming actually during mapping. It's just roaming. And I was like, okay, that's fine. You go ahead and do that. And it's, it's off doing its thing. And then it sort of makes its way back, but it doesn't dock on the charger as if it can't see it, as if it doesn't know it's there. And I found that really confusing. I'm like, what do I do here? I, I need it to finish mapping because I can't use it as a vacuum unless it knows where things are. But I know it's finished mapping because it's come home and it just can't find its charger. And it was running into it and then going to the side of the wall next to it and not really understanding where to go. I was very confused. I open up the box and inside the box is a thing that looks like a checkered flag. Um, it's got two almost like QR codes sitting on there, but giant sized ones. And that actually needs to be attached to the back of the docking station. It's very visible. It's actually very ugly when you walk past it. These two barcode looking symbols that sit behind the dock so that the vacuum can see it. The vacuum needs that thing attached to be able to find its way back to the dock because it's very camera guided. So the camera looks for that barcode and then rams into it and it's charging. That was a surprise for me. I've never had to have a QR code on display for a robot vacuum to know where home was. Every other robot vacuum has found home. Now, that was a bit of a letdown, but we got there. Then I now have the ability to name my rooms. 
kitchen, bathroom, living areas, dining areas, and so on. And then I started to think, okay, great. I want it to go and vacuum the kitchen. Off you go, go and vacuum the kitchen. And it goes and does it, does the fine job. And then it comes back. And I'll be very honest here. It does a good job of vacuuming as I expected it would. But then if I was to say I have a small mess in one area of the house, it's not a room, it's a combination of an area. You can't go into the map and select just an area to vacuum. With Ecovacs and others, you can literally draw a square anywhere on the map and the robot vacuum will go there, clean up that area and come home. Now, the reason that has been an issue for me is that at the moment, we are renovating our bathroom and it's a, it's a mess in there, obviously, because they're ripping tiles off the floor and there's a lot of work going on. So I don't want the robot vacuum going into that room. So what I would have liked to have done is just selected the hallway with a parameter being a little bit away from the bathroom so that it would just vacuum near that without actually trying to go into the bathroom and as a result trying to, I don't know, suck up bits of concrete that it's, that's left on the floor. You can't do that. The mapping tool doesn't allow you to do that. The mapping tool doesn't actually also allow you to zoom in. So as you've gone and labeled your rooms, if you want to create barriers or no-go zones, you can't zoom in on the map to be very detailed or specific into that because if it was, then I would have just drawn a barrier across the doorway of the bathroom. So that way it would have just gone into the hallway, done whatever it wanted to do, but not actually tried to go into the bathroom. You can't get detailed enough that that small barrier of a doorway was easy to do. That was a shame. The second thing that was interesting was that if I wanted to make any changes to the room names after the place had been mapped, you had to start all over again in terms of you had to relabel all of your rooms again. You had to do all of that every single time. So that's a challenge. Now beyond that, this thing has been lost on numerous occasions. This thing has almost gotten itself stuck in a number of situations as well. It's very, this robot vacuum is very game. It's very keen to try and get into anywhere it can. And as a result, you kind of need to rescue it sometimes because it tries to bite off more than it can chew. It does a pretty good job of avoiding certain things. It does a pretty bad job of ignoring some of them at the same time. Whether it's an extension cord, uh, something that's left on the floor, there's a chance that it will run over it. There's a chance that it may not. The navigation of this has not been very impressive to, to see. The other part as well is that it seems to take a really long time. I know it's doing its best job and it's, you know, good things take time. But I felt like I could send this thing out to go and vacuum the dining room and it would be an hour before it's done. And I'm thinking this should be a 20 minute job at best. And it drives slower than other, than other models I've seen. It seems like it takes a lot longer. I don't know if it's triple passing over, over the same spot. I have no idea. But there is certainly some confusion in the technology that uses this as a robot. And there's two areas that I think this thing needs improvement on. One, navigation. Find your way there and back much easier and faster. But secondly, that the app itself needs so much help. The app sucks. Uh, and for a company like Dyson, they clearly have not properly looked at their competitors to understand how they work. So many times, even just opening the app and having it connect to the robot has taken minutes at times. And you've had to sort of go up to the robot, turn the screen on, wake it up, give it a bit of a shake, kill the app, reopen it, 
maybe log out, log back in, and eventually it's like, oh, yeah, there, yeah, yeah, you've got one. You've got one of those 360 Viznavs. We can use that now. So as a vacuum, it's great. It does a really good job vacuuming. It does a really good job cleaning your floors. I was not surprised. I expected that. It's a Dyson. It's a $2,500 Dyson vacuum. But as a robot, I've certainly used better robots. I've certainly seen better robots. And this one, um, I would be glad to see the back of, if I'm honest. At $2,500, if I had purchased this device, I would have returned it. I would have returned it and I would have spent half of the money, half of the money on an equivalent one from Ecovacs. If you don't want one that does mopping, you don't want one that empties itself, you could probably spend even less. Yes, the suction power may not be as good unless you buy the Dyson. But if you're doing it every day, if you're then using a real vacuum once a week, then you've negated this problem. At $2,500, you could buy a Dyson stick vac and at the same time buy a robot vac for those quick cleans as well. So it's worth shopping around. It's worth looking at what's out there because unfortunately, unless this thing receives significant software updates, and I think a lot of this can be resolved in software, then it's going to be a bit of a flop until then. The other part I will quickly say is that I also feel like one of its biggest problems is the fact it's using camera guidance so heavily. The others, the, the real good ones that we've seen from Ecovacs and others use LiDAR. They have a little radar that sits on top of the unit. It looks like a hockey puck or a disc. And inside that are these much better tools that tend to help it with navigation and mapping of the home. Its vision seems to be more improved through LiDAR than from a camera sensor like this one that's you know 360 and top mounted looking at the ceiling and things like that so you know i could be i could be um taking back all of this after tomorrow's software update or next week whenever it is that they decide to release it i expect this will improve over time but at the moment it's got some issues and i wouldn't recommend anybody spends two and a half thousand dollars on the dyson 360 viznav robot vacuum and i'm sorry if this isn't what you normally hear in other tech podcasts where they just glorify things and it sounds advertorial, that's not what we do here. I care about your money as if it's my money. At $2,500, please go and spend it elsewhere. You can buy a Dyson stick vac and nothing wrong with those, but then you could also go and buy a different, much cheaper robot vacuum that does the same things. Maybe it just doesn't suck as good, but this one does suck overall. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Technology Uncorked. You've been a great audience. I'll speak to you again next week. Bye-bye.